to the Double Dip Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. All right, Glenn, we, without any conferences going on recently to get new recordings of people, I've moved up our timetable for a new show opener gimmick with anagrams. So I will give you a couple of words or a phrase. You rearrange the letters. Everyone else listening can rearrange the letters. And at the end of the show, uh, hopefully we remember, uh, we'll give the answer of what that all rearranges to something related to, you know, what we talk about on the show. Okay. So you ready? You want to write this down so you can work it all out? Flattening printer. One, one more time. Flattening printer. Okay. And this is, is there a clue to what this probably is? It's related to our show. Oh, okay. Uh, you guys can uh, work it out from there. And yeah, maybe starting a little easy, but that's okay. We'll get into it. We've got a whole year's worth of anagrams to come up with. Okay. So it's been kind of crazy up there in Minnesota, Glenn. Everybody, everything okay? Oh boy, I am still, <laughs> I am now obsessed with this because I think I see it. Oh no no, Glenn! You got you got to you got you can't look at the anagram now. You got to just work on it as the show progresses. We have to, we have something to re- we're recording right now, Glenn. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know, I know. But, but but you've given me a puzzle, so my brain cannot. So I cannot do two things at the same time. Anyone who's ever dated me or knows me really well knows <laughs> that I I cannot multitask. So yeah, that that this is a terrible idea. You should have given it to me well in advance. But okay. Um, sorry, what was your question, Eric? Anything crazy going on in Minnesota? Well, I kind of heard some things. Is everything okay? Are you are you doing all right? Uh. Yeah, it's fine. Everything's fine here. Okay. Uh, okay. Business business as usual. Uh, boy, we were talking a little bit about the before the show. What else could twenty twenty bring us? You know, but I, and we were suggesting some ideas. <laughs> Uh boy, we, we jinxed it. I think we jinxed it. All right. Uh, should we just jump right in to bring in the guest that we have here this week? For sure. All right. So after last week's super long, you know, double length mega episode uh, with Luke Ryan, uh, we decided to kind of have a little more laid back episode. So we're going to be recording this here on our Wednesday night double loop podcast happy hour. Uh, if you guys are out there listening, also want to join us talk about fingerprint stuff or, you know, off, often also movies and other random nerd stuff. You know, we've put, we've posted the discord link up in a few different places, or you can just email us and we'll send you that link. Uh, we've also got a new Facebook page. If you come, you know, tag us either Glenn or myself on Facebook, we can send you the link for that. And hopefully we'll get it up on our webpage here real soon. Uh, but uh, a couple of new patrons as well. I want to mention here before we get into uh, you know bringing on the guests. I almost forgot about that. Uh, to both uh, Andrea and to Stephen, thank you guys both very much for being new contributors to our show. Yeah, we definitely appreciate it, and uh, it's it's great to have that support, and it really helps keep the the, the ship going here. We we uh, we appreciate every. Every dollar, every cent you throw our way, we put it to good use. Uh, so uh, some of the regulars here from uh, our happy hour are joining Glenn and I this week uh, to talk just about some of the things that have been going on for the past couple months uh, and to so we don't have to do a whole lot of research before <laughs> this episode uh, like we have had for the past few. Uh, so Carrie Hall, Josh Connolly, and Becca Coutant, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very Thank much you. for having us. Hello. <laughs> Very good. Hello, Becca. I like that. 
You're welcome. So, Glenn, where do we want to start with uh, with this group that we've somehow cajoled into coming onto our show? Right, and we just just to clarify, and we've been doing this happy hour on Discord now for the last few weeks, and it's it's been cool. There's been a a core group of people that have been showing up, and a couple other people who occasionally been able to. But it, it, there's at least four or five of us every week that like to get together and talk and have a few drinks and share what we're drinking. And it's been it's been very helpful in these times I, I, and, and really heart, heartwarming because I, I the Leighton Print community is my family. I mean, they're the family I, I love and enjoy to spend time with. And it's really tough not having these conferences and classes to go to. And I mean, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I've been doing some webinars now, and it's such a different teaching environment. I can't see the students, so I, I can't put a name to a face and other than the students already knew coming into it. And and you're just not getting the same feedback or interaction as an instructor. It's, it is really difficult, and not many people would say this, Eric, but I would much rather get up in front of an audience, in front of hundreds of people and present... <laughs> Than present in a webinar format. Any day of the week, I would rather talk to a large audience. It's it's isn't that bizarre? It reminds me of a a, a poll I heard the results of a, a little while ago of you know the number one fear in I think it was in the U.S. which is public speaking, and the number two fear just death. Right. So oh. theoretically, at a funeral, people would rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well said. Uh, but no, I, I totally agree with you. And, and, uh, this has been just, you know, being basically trapped in the house for months on end and a couple months more to go. Uh, this has been such, so needed, uh, for me, uh, personally to, uh, to, you know, to interact with, like you said, Glenn, those latent, that latent print community. Yeah. And that stimulation you get from talking about fingerprints and, uh, you know, being the last, <laughs> that last one in the bar that still wants to talk about fingerprints. It definitely has that feel. That has never been us ever, ever at the conference. Not once. <laughs> oh, who, who are you referring to, Eric? So do you want to, do you want to ask our guests a question first? Do you want to talk about some of the webinars you've been doing first? Um, we, we haven't planned this out as, as much as we usually do. No, right, right, right. <laughs> and our planning isn't well, good to begin with. But <laughs> Well, the webinars are, are a good start. So let me let me just jump in with a, a couple of things, and I have some questions for the guests. So, and this is my way of also being able to share some training that I'm doing. I've joined up with Alice White on Evolve Forensics. So if you go to evolveforensics.com, you can find various webinars that Alice is teaching. She's got some great ones out there. Of course, she is the mistress of biology and all of her great biological information and foundational information of biology. It's, it's fantastic. I had a chance to sit in on, on, on one of her webinars and it was, it was really helpful. I mean, I've been in this business for 20 years and was learning some, some great stuff. And so she's been very gracious to allow me to work with her and do webinars. And so I've done two now, or I have three up available. I did two this week, which was the first one was on a discriminability and being able to measure or estimate specificity of characteristics. And Carrie, since you're, you're here on the phone, I want to give props because that was your idea. It was a fantastic idea for a webinar. And thank you very much for allowing me to use it. 
And the uh, second one I did, which was today, was on the OSAC conclusions. And I, I hope we get a chance to talk about that maybe a little bit later. But it was fantastic having students taking them through exercises, dealing with the OSAC conclusions, uh, explaining how an agency can adopt those OSAC conclusions, how to test them prior to implementation, what are some of the accreditation requirements that would apply to these. It was it was actually a really enjoyable lecture for me, and the students seemed to really enjoy the interaction of applying these OSAC conclusions, which, Eric, we've obviously talked about in previous episodes. We're both proponents of that standard. And we will never discuss it again, right? It's the last time. <laughs> no, yeah. No, it'll, uh, it'll be coming up here again. Uh. Yeah, we've got some great data that we'll be able to talk about very shortly in a, in a, in the subsequent episode. And then tomorrow, uh, and so I won't be able to stay on too late tonight, Eric, but tomorrow I have to give a, another webinar on preparing for a Daubert challenge. How do you prepare for a Daubert challenge? And that's something I've always wanted to put together, and I'm excited for that. And trying to develop some other webinars in the future, some on confirmation bias because people need that training now according to some accreditation requirements and potentially looking at some for uh, interpreting blood, bloody fingerprints or bloody impressions. So I'm looking forward to putting those together and doing more training. So, Glenn, uh, if, I'm, uh, if I'm understanding this correct, each one of these is what, like four hours? Is that right? Four hours, correct. So for our guests out here, Carrie, Becca, and, and Josh, you know, typically when you go to a class, you're doing like a full-on 40-hour thing on this, you know, incredible, uh, big topic, uh, typically. It, this webinar concept, you know, really is allowing, you know, someone like Glenn to come out with a four-hour little snippet on maybe a little bit smaller topic uh, and then having a broader audience because you only have to commit to this four-hour stretch. How does that fit in with your guys's kind of needs for training and and have you done any of this uh, any uh this webinar training here so far in the first bits of uh, 2020 well i i have been a beta tester for alice who was the first one to come out with the webinar based training during this quarantine time so i didn't i didn't pay for the webinar but i did help her test all of the equipment so i got to see all of the content before the students did and my opinion about the webinar is that it's really not that different than what we come to expect for training in conferences. So often workshops have a two or a four hour slot that the attendees will come to. So, you know, it's, it's the same time frame that we've come to expect at the conferences. The format has just changed and that's more difficult for the instructors rather than for the students. So, you know, I've enjoyed the topic so far, but I know that it's been difficult for instructors to find things that are can be done in the online content versus the in-person content. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely creates its own challenge to present it this way. Uh, many of my classes involved these interactive exercises and having students get up and sort of show and point to things, and it is it is much harder to find content that is deliverable in that same way, but still has the same impact. That's a, that's a good point, Carrie. I think several professions have really had to kind of reevaluate how they provide training to their employees, not just um, to front of folks. But I will tell you, um, I enjoy webinars. My agency appreciates webinars because they're not paying a per diem or a hotel night uh, for me to travel somewhere. And as Carrie said, with 
workshops typically being between two and four hours. Sometimes you might have an eight-hour workshop. Uh, time frame-wise, you're, you're capturing attention, you're holding that attention, delivering that information obviously is way more of a challenge for the instructors. Even though it's slightly less interactive, you still have uh, the ability to, to post questions, um, to get follow-up, and um, hopefully, you know, the materials that are provided with these webinars um, are, are, if not exactly the same, very similar to what you get in an in-person workshop. And again, I, I think it's a great opportunity when there's nothing else available. And I would love to see um, the II and the various certification boards starting to approve more of these for uh, credits for certifications. And I hope that as this um, whole COVID-19 thing progresses, it becomes even more of a necessity that it's now no longer do we do this or not? And they're like, well, we have to do this because no one else is going to be able to get the requirements that they need to, to stay certified or to get certified. Well, I just, I'm really glad that you guys um, have taken the, the lead and have been able to offer these. And I, I, I just, it's, it's a great opportunity. And again, when you're in your office doing this, the agencies love it because they're not sending it anywhere and paying additional money for that. Yeah, I was, I was just going to ask you, uh, you know, Josh, you have a lot of involvement in crime scene. You're kind of known also as a crime scene guy. Um, you know, I imagine bloodstain pattern analysis, crime scenes, these more hands-on, more practicum-based courses. Well, hell, even law enforcement where you have to, you know, kind of get right in there and, and do things, whether it's, you know, uh, breathalyzer testing or you know, use of force or these other kinds of things. It's got to be obviously a lot harder without that practical component where you need to handle, touch something and, and be around. How, how do you envision some of these disciplines, forensic disciplines like crime scene or bloodstain doing online training? You know, that's certainly a, a huge challenge. And I think there's only, you know, so many slow-mo videos that you can show you know, demonstrating blood droplets. Um, I mean, you can only show, you know, so many, like, crime scene videos and demonstrating techniques on, um, you know, overalls, mid-ranges, panning, things like that. So those types of hands-on, like, kind of super-involved disciplines, obviously it, it becomes very difficult. It's it's almost like your own agency needs to, to take the lead and start to provide more kind of just internal training on some of those aspects rather than, you know, basically, uh, basing that uh, continuing training on an outside source via webinar. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so I'll just chime in. Um, my agency is pretty notorious for not making any spending decisions in a very quick turnaround time. So uh, unfortunately, uh, I or my coworkers have not really been able to participate in any of these newer webinars. Uh, we'd probably need quite a bit more uh, advanced warning in order to participate. Uh, I do want to throw a little plug in, though. Um, I, I am in, from California, and so we have a California DOJ webinar that used to be once a month and it was just kind of a nice little training opportunity for California agencies or anyone else who wants to join in. Uh, we usually had an update from the FBI on how their uh, ULW was working and an update from California DOJ on how they're doing on their APHIS system and then a little training uh, seminar or lecture. 
and they've tried to increase their webinar presence. So we've had one every two or so weeks on average now during the shelter in place. And it's really been a nice way to get a little bit of training on Wednesday mornings. Um, and I know they're always looking for some presenters. Eric, I know you just presented a little bit. Josh and Carrie, you guys both did a little bit. Um, it's been great. Yeah, that, that group's been around for a number of years now. And despite the name, the California Friction Rich Study Group, uh, they, they do open it up for um, you know other agencies outside of California to to call in, and I mean it's it's really great to to hear you know some of these presentations in a short format from with such a wide audience listening to it. Uh, you know, for a couple weeks ago when I was on, I was doing more of a like a demonstration, um, which is what I've been doing a lot with <laughs> in, for my presentations here recently. Is a lot of uh, sharing a screen. And then, you know, showing what, what a software is, uh, is doing that comes with its own set of, of, uh, of challenges, um, uh, of making sure all the sh- screens are shared correctly, logging into the, to the VPN and then, uh, showing that and then handing off control so someone else can do it. it it's, um, sorry, Glenn, but sometimes I wish I was just presenting a slideshow, you know? Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, it, it's so far though, you know, thanks, thank goodness. My, my internet connection is, is holding up pretty good. Um, I, I haven't had that issue. Uh, just have to occasionally tell the kids to, uh, to stop, stop streaming YouTube for a little bit, <laughs> but, uh, uh, no, I, I hope to go back on, um, uh, here soon, uh, with, uh, with some more content for California and, and other little bits of content here and there as well from, for what I'm doing now. Yeah, and they they are always looking for any presenters. It can be anything as short as a 30-minute presentation. If you kind of want to dip your toes into the water of presenting a certain topic or anything, it's a great forum to do it in. Um, I'm sure you can email Eric or Glenn, and they'd be happy to send you the email for Lori Orr, who sets all of the uh, webinars up. Uh, like Eric said, it's it's open to anyone. So even if you wanted to join the mailing list to find out when these webinars happen, you can also email them and ask for the name to be put on the list. Yeah, uh, Derek Morisawa with CalDOJ has been absolutely fantastic and welcoming for presenters for years on this now. And uh, you know, I used to to really use this as the kind of the test bed for the new presentation I was getting ready to do at IAI. I'd kind of dry run it first through, uh, through, through this group. But, um, yeah, if you have an interesting topic, I guarantee you that Derek and Lori will want to have you on. Yeah. I was curious if anyone else thought or just had some ideas. I mean, do you think that come September, October, November, when a lot of the classes I and other instructors were teaching have all been pushed to the fall, do you think that they're going to be having classes in the fall or have you heard anything or do you wouldn't would your agency even allow you to attend you know a training with 20 to 30 people say september or october of this year what do you guys think well i'm scheduled to go to north carolina at the end of july for a shoe print comparison class and so far my agency is still going to send me and the, the county that I work for, um, the county as a whole, has implemented kind of a out-of-state travel, basically by necessity only. And because I'm in a, a small unit where we're trying to add uh, shoes and tires into a discipline, um, they've kind of deemed us as you know necessary. So 
they are still going to let us travel. Um, the class size itself is, is going to be pretty small, probably between 10 and 15 different examiners. So that's kind of in the middle of where they're expecting maybe the second wave to hit with COVID, you know, like in, in late fall. And my wife, who's a school teacher, uh, she's a high school teacher anyway, she has been preparing for basically four different scenarios when school starts. Um, one of those is start school is normal, one of them is start late, one of them is kind of a mixture of some kids go to school one day, other kids stay at home, and then they flip. And then the fourth is kind of, hey, we're just going to start doing the distance learning uh, until this is over. So I think right now, even though classes are being pushed back, like you said, going into September, October, November, I think it's still really hard to say what's going to happen and if those classes won't be postponed um, in the 2021. So uh, it's tough. I think every agency is going to have their own sort of uh, decision-making process. And again, my, my hope is that we're not losing folks um, and, and they're not missing out on their ability to get certified or recertified because of this. And that's why I'm, I'm kind of hoping that the II and the individual certification boards recognize that and allow for these alternative forms of training, including webinars, uh, to really assist. Yeah, that 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 is a really good point. And you know, I I think about my some of my uh, status with various companies. You know, because I travel so much, so my flight benefits. You know, for flying for an airline. You know, the you know, medallion status or at a hotel. And um, like all these major businesses have all said, you know what? Don't worry about trying to meet your requirements for the next year. You just get the next year for free. You just get whatever you got right now. And I mean, you know, that model is working for those businesses. Wouldn't it be a bad idea for the IAI just to consider, okay, this this year's a wash. Forget about this year. It won't count for you and won't count against you. But you know, I, I'm kind of with you. I, I, I could see that. And I, and I also agree that it is likely going to be very regional and state dependent. I can imagine states like Texas Arkansas, Florida, you know, I probably some others out there that, you know, didn't have much of a lockdown to begin with or, you know, no state restrictions. And so I have a feeling that those places will probably not worry so much about, about training, whereas other states that have been a little more rigorous in their in their lockdown. Well, yeah, I, I could see that being a problem well into 2021. Well, and I think it's a, it's going to be a, a, a mix of how people react and then what the, the actual, you know, reality is. Uh, right. you know, here in Arizona, um, last week, you know, also like in Cal, in New York, right? New York had their peak of highest number of new cases per, uh, on a certain day, like two months ago, right? Uh, last week in Arizona, every day last week was the highest day that we've had ever. Uh, for a number of new cases. And then yesterday was again, the highest day ever for a number of new cases. Um, so we're peaking now, uh, and who knows how long we'll continue to peak. Um, and you know, the same thing is going across uh, a lot of Southern states right now as well. So, but, so there's that, but then there's also, well, (laughs) is that state going to do anything about it? Do they care? Or are they just going to send their people anyway? Because, you know, we've already had it as much lockdown as we as uh, as we can handle. So it doesn't matter what the numbers say. We're just not going to do anything uh, different from now on. There's also some budget concerns. I mean, 
uh, I know a lot of states, a lot of counties, a lot of cities are going to be looking at some pretty severe budget issues for the next at least couple, two to three years. Um, My city is probably going to be locking down a lot of travel for a while, uh, even once COVID is over, because we're just we're just hurting for money. So, I mean, we're going to be looking at furloughs and man, you think about trying to send us to out of state travel like that's that's barely going to be accessible to us. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I mean, these webinars, I think, like we discussed earlier, just collecting four hours here, four hours there, that's that's really, I think, going to be important for the next um, cycle of our certifications and um, hoping for people to be able to travel and come to us and teach locally. That that will help, too. But, um, yeah, I don't see at least my agency. I don't see us sending anyone to outside training for a while whether it's because of COVID or because of budget constraints. The city of Omaha hosts this really small tournament called the, the College World Series. And um, <laughs> because, they, because they're not hosting this year, they're losing out about $25 million in revenue from hotels, food, you know, whatever. Um, we host things like the Olympic swim trials and, you know, the, the city initially projected about a $40 million loss in revenue. And I think now when the reality's hit, they're already up to like $60 million loss of revenue. Um, and so, you know, Rebecca just said it, like cities aren't going to be able to afford to send anybody anywhere. And this is not just going to be a problem that gets solved once they find a, a cure for COVID. This is going to be for a yeah. couple of years in the future. So it's, yeah, it's going to be really hard on some agencies. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, even if if we're able to solve the even if we have a vaccine and everything goes back to a safe situation, you're, you're I think you're absolutely right for year for several years afterwards, uh, there will be ramifications in training requests. Uh, this happened uh, already once maybe twice since I've been in the profession. You know, certainly when the bubble burst in 2008 and the housing market crashed, that 2009 and 2010, your supervisor would have laughed you out of the office if you said, I'd like to go out of state to this conference. Uh, oh, and it'll cost 2500 and we'd like to send three people. Uh, it would have been ridiculous to even ask for that. That's why I got certified that year in 09 was because <laughs> I was brand new, well, relatively new, and, and you know didn't expect to make the cut when they started slicing. You're telling me I graduated in 2008. I mean, not to make you old, but imagine trying to get a job in that market. Wait, from high school or college? College. Thank you very much. (laughs) No, that's actually a thing I've seen in the news quite a bit is is, basically, Becca, exactly people your exact age. You graduate college after spending you know, a whole ton of money on that, and you graduate into the worst job market you know ever um, yes. in, in memory. <laughs> and then I you kind of you kind of work through it. You pay off some stuff. You're careful for a little bit. You maybe not you, but but people your age settle down. They get married. And they're like, all right, time to have a kid. And then boom. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. It's going to be an interesting few years, I think. And I, I think like you guys are like you, Glenn, specifically are pointing out the whole 
Uh, let's just give people their certifications for another year. Keep status quo. Uh, training isn't really going to happen this year in large quantities. You know, certainly if you're really hurting for some training hours. Or dollars. Yeah, you're not going to be able to build it up. Well, um, you know, it's, it's, it's almost... It's going to be interesting for a few years. It's almost not even the people this year, because right? everyone that's that's due to renew this year, they kind of already have all the points, right? Right. Uh, but yeah, the people like that are year. due to renew next year, mm. um, or mm. even worse, the people that um, have put in their application to renew this year, but it's been delayed. So one of the things that you know, the at least the Latent Print Cert Board is doing, that actually going back to the California Friction Rate Study Group, uh, Tim Fail mentioned. Uh, when he was a guest on on that group, is that any training that so let's say let's say your your current certification has expired, but your not your new one's not going to renew for a couple more months because of this whatever backlog uh, needs to get worked out because of all the issues that have been going on. Any training you do right now won't count because you it can't count for last time because you've already turned it in. And it won't count for next time because the clock doesn't start until you actually get the certificate in hand. Uh, so there's this window now of might as well not train because it's not going to count for anything. Yep. Yep. My coworker is in that exact position. Not to be the naysayer here, but I know <laughs> thinking about the II as a business, I mean, they, they have costs as well. So, of course, the conference not existing this year and then, you know, continued concerns about traveling for in-person classes, uh, you know, certification, just keep your status kind of not getting the money that you would pay for your, for your research. Uh, I think that they are probably looking more towards web-based training as well. So I think that's another reason for people who are either considering creating courses in a web-based or taking web-based courses but those are those are definitely going to have to count because it really just seems that there's a number of factors to that are pointing to this being the way things are going to be for some period of time. For these webinars you have at home or these critical meetings or quality assurance meetings you might have at home, do you find it distracting with, you know, kids and other things going on? Have you had trouble either like focusing on your work or focusing on these training? Is it is it a difficult environment? What are you doing to avoid some of those distractions? Just as you had described, Josh, a few minutes ago. Uh, offline that you've got a child in the background who's screaming and asking questions during a webinar that has to probably be distracting to the student and probably distracting to the instructor if it's coming through the microphone. So I'm kind of curious what your experiences with distractions are. You know, some people are obviously alone in their area and it's not as much. Some people have pets or children that can be a problem. What, What have you guys had? So I'll go before my kid loses it again. Um, <laughs> I've got two school-age kids, and they're both doing online classes. And so I was alternating with my partner. I was doing a week at home, a week in the office. And when I was at home, um, I would try to isolate myself downstairs in the basement. So I, I could literally just kind of focus on what I needed to do downstairs. Um, each one of the kids kind of had their own spot. And again, because my wife is a teacher, she also had her own spot where she was responsible for dealing with her students. But the biggest issue was the technology is when everybody was, 
you know, streaming a Zoom meeting or they were involved, you know, with some sort of, you know, uh, online application. Like I was remoting into my PC at work. Um, our bandwidth started to lag a little bit and we have fiber internet. So, you know, we're, we're pushing, you know, over wireless probably between, I don't know, 350 and 400 megabit per second. But when you're running, you know, basically four laptops, you know, with, with Zoom meetings and other stuff going on, that became a problem. So kind of the sound isolation was an issue. Some of the, the lagginess, um, because we're competing over bandwidth was an issue. The good thing is, is the girls, my girls' classes were about 30 minutes long. Um, my wife, because she taught, or she teaches high school, they were a little bit longer, maybe 45 minutes. Um, so it wasn't like a constant, you know, eight hours that they're online. But those sorts of things definitely pose a problem. So I have not taken a webinar through this um, last couple months anyway from home. Um, I think that that would certainly be, you know, something that you can find a closet, hold your stuff up into a, a room in your basement somewhere, um, and just ensure that you can really focus. But it certainly makes it harder. And when you're at home, you probably actually have less space to kind of spread stuff out. And I've always found that, um, you know, it's really difficult to, to even do comparisons or even review um, comparisons when you're not in your element in your usual office. I mean, it was tough for me the first time I took a certification test because I was doing it at another agency and I didn't have my stuff with me. And that's just the environment was different. And so it made it tougher. I mean, it definitely put a lot more pressure on you. And I, I feel that it would be very similar with webinars. Granted, the, the implications of a webinar is mainly to kind of just listen and, and ask questions as you have them. Um, but nonetheless, all those issues can certainly make it more difficult. And I, I think most people have done as good a job as they can to overcome that challenge. And, you know, I guess maybe my biggest pet peeve is when people have open mics and there's side conversations that are quick or there's sips of coffee and, um, you know, tapping or clicking your pens, like those things after a while, that's all I hear. And I'm not even paying attention to the person talking. So, hmm. um, if I could say one thing to anybody listening is when you're in a webinar or on a conference call or whatever, please, please mute your mic unless you're actually talking because <laughs> it, it can become super annoying. Yeah, when I'm at, at uh, in work meetings, uh, we use Teams uh, where, you know, where I work now, and well, I love that I can mute anyone else that I'm in the meeting with, even if I'm not like the organizer or the host or whatever. I just, I, well, you are really loud right now. Mute, <laughs> mute. Um, but handy when you like what the person's saying too. Yeah. <laughs> so then uh, we have new QA regulations. We have to mute, mute, <laughs> mute. <laughs> <laughs> but uh no for for the the actual like more presentation thing that I gave a few months ago on minutia placement it was kind of at the beginning of all this but um kind of before we realized how how locked down we were going to all get it was really handy having a, a like a presenter partner that was you know I was doing the talking and then advancing the slides he was looking at the chat for any questions that would come up and actively muting anybody <laughs> that managed to unmute themselves. That goes for video turning off. Too, oh, yes. That, although not audible, is quite distracting when you're seeing someone with their little hair towel wrapped around their head while they're drying their hair and their little robe. And uh, Have you had that? Wow. Yes. Yes, I have. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
That was interesting. <laughs> so yeah, uh, turn off your video. Usually, I mean, most most I think PCs and video cameras have little lights on when they're active. So yeah, mute your video, mute your audio. Very helpful to everyone else. <laughs> To, to be honest, though, actually, um, we've been encouraged when we're actually in the meetings and it's interacted between everyone in the group, not like a presentation kind of thing, to have the video on so we can still see each other. And actually, that has really helped the the team I'm a part of in in staying connected and, and interacting more. Uh, oh, totally agree. We forced one of my coworkers to turn his video on when we were in a meeting. I know, <laughs> occasionally, if depending on bandwidth issues, just like Josh was saying, sometimes I have to turn it off uh, so that I can actually hear what's being said because that's kind of the more important part. But uh, but still, Becca, Carrie, any other interesting stories that you've experienced like this? Well, I just I sort of have that same sentiment, Eric, about being locked you know, in your home with your family that you see all the same time, all the time. So when you get in a group meeting with your coworkers and, you know, somebody's cat is constantly jumping up into the video and that's sort of adorable being able to (laughs) (laughs) have those interruptions that are unprompted because, you know, many people are concerned about what their space looks like or, you know, there's the, the zoom backgrounds that you can download and, and add to make things exciting, but, you know, just seeing people's stuff and seeing people's faces after only being with the people that you've, you live with day in and day out is really important to get that touch of humanity back. So those elements are fun, even though they can be sort of interrupted, like, you know, yelling children or someone (laughs) singing their loudest, you know, Elton John song, and you're like, okay, I'm just trying to have a meeting. Could you not do that right now? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of endearing, but then also at the same time, if it's your eighth meeting of the day and you're really frustrated, then it's no longer cute. So I guess it kind of depends. <laughs> and I think there's a distinction, too, between, you know, online courses and webinars versus online meetings. Yeah. You know, webinar, you're trying to cram some information into a certain amount of time. You're all focused on one presenter. Uh, those things can be a lot more distracting. But if I'm in a meeting with my coworkers and we're just trying to connect for the week and, you know, discuss what's been happening, I want to see all of the pets. Please show me your pets. <laughs> I was just on a call yesterday with a, uh, an agency, uh, with two people from an agency in, in both their respective houses. And um, one of them had a three-year-old in the background that just started singing just that loud, toneless, wordless, la, la, you know. Uh, And um, I I finally just chuckled. I was trying to just kind of talk through it and ignore it and just smiling. And she said, oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear? Uh, And I said, oh, yes, your your daughter has a lovely singing voice. (laughs) But, you know, just being understanding about it all. Um, Yeah. But uh, anyway, that just really made me chuckle. I I have less of that since my youngest is in seventh grade. Uh, they're all fairly self sufficient, and and I I I don't have to worry about someone just uh just you know screaming into my ear. But have any of you had a chance yet to testify through video or through a hearing or a deposition? I, I bring this up because I have 
a hearing and a deposition this week and next week. And I've, I have done it through video before and through the phone in the, in the, um, no, in the last month or two. I've, I've had a couple. But this will be my first real quarantine one. So I'm kind of curious if you guys have had this experience yet and anything to share. Our county, uh, basically, through the district court, and in my view, I've gotten up to like the state Supreme Court kind of handed down a rule where they were going to not hold trials, but only like constitutionally required hearings. So things like arraignment hearings, um, bond hearings, things like that. So they basically put a moratorium on any sort of trial. I think they still might do like juvenile stuff when it comes to like, custody and things like that. But beyond those sorts of things, they really kind of put a stop to the trials. And, of course, you know, judges kind of get a docket and they know what's going to happen and they block out, you know, six weeks for this trial or four weeks for this trial or whatever. And obviously with this happening, you know, there's no way of knowing when these trials will even start. And so to answer your question, I've never had to testify um, via video or even just audio. Because of this uh, COVID situation, I think at least in, in this jurisdiction, I don't think that that would ever happen. They do arraignment hearings sometimes with inmates, and they're usually using uh, some sort of teleconference or video conferencing equipment. Um, but as far as witnesses or anything like that, they, they really want you to be there in court. Again, this might be an opportunity for my county or my district here in the Nebraska to, to maybe evaluate and say, hey, maybe we can put in, you know, some video conferencing equipment and make it a little bit easier, you know, for, for folks to testify you know, from a distance. Today, Carrie and I had a phone call with Brendan Max because we teach with him. We teach this courtroom testimony and uh, practical answers course. So we were sort of planning some things out and what the future is going to look like. And I'd asked him the same question, if he was doing any uh, hearings or any bench trials or any cross-examination. And he had said that, no, in Chicago, they're not doing anything like that. Exactly as you said, Josh, they're doing legal hearings and things that normally wouldn't require jurors or even the defendant necessarily present. Uh, if they want, they can bring the defendant in through video, but, you know, it's all just sort of legal things or arraignments or family court or custody hearings. And, you know, and even those can be over the phone. But yeah, and and he said that if they were to try to do any jury trials by video or remote that they would actually fight it like tooth and nail and he made a really good point about the constitutional requirement to have you know people together in a trial and he thinks it's really important for that process of jurors to be working together to have this camaraderie in the juror room in the jury box and hearing all the evidence together plus the emotional uh, stake involved in it and being in the courtroom and seeing things. He talked about the rapport with both the defendant and the, you know, and the attorneys present and all these kinds of things that I never really thought about. But he made some good points on why he would not be for remote jury trial. But he said some jurisdictions in the U.S., I think he said maybe Texas and a couple others may be looking at remote jury trials. You know, just uh, just south of uh, Josh there, uh, a couple years ago, I went and taught in Kansas, and their new lab had this fantastic setup where I think almost every unit had their own little testimony room, remote testimony room. And this is mainly especially for the far western sections of Nebraska, of Kansas, well, Nebraska too, probably, uh, that are so sparsely populated, it's tough to send someone out that far. But if it's a fairly minor trial – 
you know, they, they had, they built their lab with this capability. And I'm now want to talk to someone from Kansas and see if they're actually have started doing this. But Glenn, I take your point. It's one thing to have, say, an expert, you know, come in remotely with their testimony, uh, over teleconference and a completely different thing to have the jury not actually be all there together. Yeah, well, I mean, that wasn't my point. It was it was Brendan's, but I thought, no, it's interesting. I, I hadn't looked at it from that perspective. I know when I worked for the state of Minnesota, I was definitely pushing for our drug chemists who would get 20 to 30 subpoenas a month. That's, you know, four a week or five a week. And they had to be all over the state of Minnesota, which was anywhere you know, up to four hours away in good weather. I mean, in bad weather <laughs> and, and bad weather is nine months out of the year in Minnesota. I mean, it could be a five to seven hour drive in snow and terrible icy conditions just to show up and have a defendant plead. Whereas I thought if we could just remote them in for this 10 minutes of testimony, why would we not want to do that? It's safer, less expensive, and they don't have to be out of the office for a day and a half. So, I mean, I, I agree with you, Eric. I like the idea of remote experts, but I understand Brendan's point about, like, as you point out, having remote jurors. He doesn't think that's a he, – he thinks it, it's counterproductive to justice, I think was kind of how he referred to it. Carrie, Be- Rebecca? Um, so we are in my county and city. We're doing um, really only – currently, I believe we're only doing no time waiver – preliminary trials, preliminary hearings, um, and traffic court. And the traffic court is occurring via video conferencing. Um, so the defense is in one building, the prosecution's in another, you might have the witnesses even in another. Um, as far as I know, I believe the preliminary hearings that are no time waivers are happening in person, but those aren't jury trials anyway. Um, but things are kind of in flux. They're kind of getting changed by the week, depending on um, how things are going with COVID and everything. But yeah, I mean, I can certainly see his point about a jury trial really needing to be in person. I think it's, you definitely get a different experience via video. Um, You see different expressions. uh, People come across differently. And a big part of jury trials uh, as much as we hate to admit it is expressions and demeanor. And I think it's really important to have an in-person view of that. Just right now, just kind of curious of how you guys are all working. So, I mean, everyone's dealing with COVID at the moment, but Carrie has, you, I'm just going to assume have some, had some extra challenges recently with, with recent events in, uh, in Minnesota. That would be an accurate statement. So just in general, what are you guys doing differently now than you weren't doing, you know, six months ago? Well, (laughs) six months ago, I don't know. Was that quarantine time or not? I can't find the (laughs) Sorry, in the before times. I should refer to it like that. Before time. What does time mean? (laughs) Wibbly wobbly. Yeah. Uh, No, I think... Our agency was just getting ready to phase workers back into the laboratory more consistently. We had never stopped completely going into the lab because we process evidence. So we had found great workarounds for doing comparisons from home, uh, but there was still the element where we needed to process physical evidence items in the laboratory. So we set up certain day rotations where people were in the building doing processing and 
were able to socially distance themselves. But the agency had started talking about, all right, now it's sort of let's get back a bit more towards normal. And then we were looking at going into the office two days a week to do processing. And, of course, staying as physically distant as possible. Um, Our housekeeping staff was doing a bunch more cleaning. We all had cleaning supplies that we were responsible for cleaning shared work areas to to help keep each other healthy. And then, of course, we had a a large change of events in our city. So um, it was Thursday last week. I was actually in in the building, a friend told me that there was some riots and looting that were getting closer and closer to my lab building and suggested maybe I should leave. And I thought, well, maybe. And then overhead on the building page came the announcement that all available foreign personnel in the building should report to a lobby so that they could have a briefing about how to protect some of the important assets within the state and, and certain target areas, sort of figuring out what their, their game plan was going to be. So at that point, I realized this is a bit more serious than I previously considered and that I should probably leave. So I closed the, the building windows in our area and um, sort of was the last one out, turned out all the lights thinking, well, I don't know when I'll be back here, but it might be very different the next time I return. So And in fact, that was the case. I came in Monday afternoon, and during that period of time, the agency had made several changes. So we had some exterior perimeter changes to how we could enter the building. The National Guard was posted in the parking lot, full gear and Humvee. There was concrete barriers that were erected in order to prevent people from gaining access to the parking lot. And then they had interior breach protocols. So if the building was breached by people who would, who wanted to gain entry, they had removed all of the signs indicating where certain high-value items would be, for instance, firearms and drugs. Those of us who worked in the building knew where the firearms and drugs were, so we really didn't need great signage for those things. And of course, we're not doing tours with the public, so no, nobody was in the building that needs to know this is the firearm section or this is the drug chemistry section. So it's fine that they took the signage down. Um, that was a small change. But the bigger changes were for the evidence. All of the evidence in what we call impressions and materials, which are our, our labs that do trace firearms and latent prints, had to be moved and put away. So any of any of you who are working that type of evidence know that Sometimes it takes days to finish a case, and so evidence is sometimes, you know, in your personal area, but not necessarily stored in uh, containers while you're working on it. So that was a big change that everything needed to be put away in case entry was made into the building and people wanted to steal evidence or, you know, damage damage evidence. So all of that had to be removed and put in a secure location. And then the equipment. So one of the important considerations that we we saw happening throughout the city was fires and arson. And of course, as a modern structure, we have fire suppressant infrastructure, which is sprinklers. So sprinklers that turn on are going to wet all of our instruments, you know, DNA that has hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of interpretation instruments and robotic drug chemistry, all the GCMS equipment, latent prints, all of our lasers and 
um, cameras. So they made the decision to cover all of those high-value items in plastic in hopes that if a fire was lit inside the building, that it might protect some of those really important equipment items. And then the same thing with the evidence. So the secure locations, the vaults that the evidence was being stored in, all of the evidence in this shelving is covered in plastic wrap to prevent um, if there's, you know, a water event, sprinklers are activated, that everything doesn't become, everything doesn't become ruined. The other funny thing that's funny, but not funny, is that, you know, during the COVID crisis, there was so many changes made to the interior of the building, leaving doors open so that people didn't have to touch door handles, Um, you know, things within our elevators and our stairway space to sort of try and help protect employees from catching the virus. Then everything changed when there was a possibility that people might breach the building. So everything had to be, every single door within the building needed to be closed and, if possible, locked. Whereas during COVID, it was like, leave the door open so that not everybody has to touch the same door handle. Wow. Uh, so we went from one one crisis to really sort of another concern that, um, you know, if equipment or evidence is damaged, particularly equipment, and I don't think people realize what will will or would have happened if a, a forensic laboratory is damaged. I mean, it's not just the building or tax dollars that go to waste. It's every subsequent case after that. I mean, if you... If if we had lost instruments in DNA or latent prints, our backlog, of course, has increased, and we may not have the, the capability to even work some of the cases. It is one of those things that, you know, I'm sure they never wish they had to consider in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Carrie, if, if, if I had walked into this, if I was from another time and I had heard you talking about uh, an, an outbreak, a pandemic virus, and buildings being swarmed by people trying to break into it. I really would have assumed this is the zombie apocalypse. I found myself in a George Romero movie because it, it's the only thing that makes sense when you've got all of these things coming together. This is just such an insane year. That's crazy, Carrie. Yes. Yeah, it's it's been a difficult couple of couple of last weeks. A number number of factors, you know, just working from home ad- transitions, but then also emergency cases coming up with rush cases that needed to, to be worked. And then, you know, the riots looting in the city that unrest has been, um, you know, not, not just difficult at work, but then of course at home with, with people who are asking questions and, you know, wanting, wanting to know opinions and, uh, you know, expressing what is, what is really happening here and how, how does that impact us? who live here you mean little people children your your kids yes but I, a family of course is always checking in and saying like you know are people coming are you guys safe at night what's your ah. extraction policy you know how are, how does this directly impact you and there there have actually been some impacts but on omaha we've been fairly lucky um our lab is pretty small and we're, we're doing our kind of our six foot social distancing um you know if we walk by each other in the hallways one thing that I am pretty proud of is um, the the medical center here in Omaha did some research kind of at the very beginning of this pandemic, and they were testing different UVC light sources, so the near or the near UV, um, like 254 nanometer wavelength, which is great because Arubis uses that and FSIS uses that. So anyway, they did a test and they wanted to see you know how long a mask had to be exposed to this amount of radiation 
um, in order to kill a virus to, to be able to reuse masks. And obviously in a hospital setting, they're dealing with a lot of people. Not everybody technically has the virus, but they wanted to try to reduce the amount of masks that they were just using and then tossing that maybe weren't contaminated. And so we took a, a page from that book um, and we reached out, and, and this is a large part of our coworker mine that did this, um, some research on other agencies that might be implementing this. And so we took uh, the bio, uh, our uh, biohazard room where we keep all of our bio um, evidence, one of the drying cabinets. We just took one half of that cabinet and we lined it with aluminum foil and we put in the UVC lights that we use to decontaminate the, the closet when we're you know in between evidence. And we bought a, a UVC sensor that reads the amount of UVC light and we came up with kind of a game plan and now we're actually decontaminating masks every week and we're able to um, further reduce the amount of unnecessary waste of masks and we just started doing that for the lab and then we've opened that up to the rest of the department and while they still have a fairly good supply of masks, the, the fear again is the second wave that might hit later this fall or, or early winter and so we're set up to do these mask decontaminations and you know, it saved us a lot of a lot of unnecessary waste. And I think anything that we can do to try to prevent, you know, that from happening. I mean, we've all seen the emails. I mean, they were selling these masks for six, eight, ten dollars a piece. And if we can, you know, preserve these N ninety fives for, you know, just for several uses, um, after that decontamination process, I mean it's great. So if, if our CSIs are going to a high likelihood area like a hospital or the correctional center where there's known cases, they'll mask up and then when they're done, they just discard the mask. But if they're just taking a routine call, if it's a DV, if it's a, you know, a burglary or something when they're masked up, they'll come back, they'll put the mask in a, in a paper sack and they have a process where the mask goes into a receptacle. Once a week, our health and safety officer collects those uh, paper bags from a receptacle. They get lined up in that biohazard cabinet. Um, we irradiate them for 30 minutes, I believe, maybe it's 20 minutes. Um, they get put in clean bags with labels, and those go back to the people, and they can reuse those masks essentially as long as they want to. Um, it's, it's been nice. It's been nice to, to know that we're saving a little bit of, of waste and garbage, and the masks that the, the medical staff truly need, we're not dipping into their supply. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's really great of, of finding a way to, to, to help in, even, if a, even in a little way, that, that could be a big help for those people that need it. So, Becca, any special things that uh, that your agency is doing? No, nothing special in terms of evidence protection, although we've got a fair amount of um, things happening in our city as well. Uh, we are, in general, we've got the kind of general safety uh, concerns regarding COVID. So we've, we're pretty much rotating one to two people in each section for a day trying to keep social distance where we've got mandatory masks when you're within six feet of another coworker, uh, masks in the hallways and everything. Uh, we've all got our own little department issue bottles of sanitizer and stuff like that. Um, but I actually haven't been back in the office since uh, all of the protests started happening. So I'm a little curious to see what's going on there. But other than that, nothing else. Well, maybe no news is good news. <laughs> you yeah, you don't have to take right. the, the the same steps that that uh, that Carrie's agency is taking. 
Well, as we wrap things up here, I just have one question, one last question for the group here. And I was curious if in this time, assuming everyone here has done some sort of streaming service, entertainment service, curious if there's any comedies or lighthearted fare, something that has made you smile that you've been binging or watching. And I'll, I'll start this by sharing that I recently fell into Curb Your Enthusiasm. I, Eric, you know, you and I, we, we've talked Seinfeld before. I think we made a Seinfeld reference before we came on here. Uh, I've, I've loved the show Seinfeld, but I'd never watched Curb Your Enthusiasm. And I always seemed like a bunch of crazy people just yelling at each other. But I finally sat down and started watching it. And oh my God, do I love it. I turned around and watched it again. It is, in some cases, more Seinfeld than Seinfeld. If you like Seinfeld, <laughs> uh, all of the DNA is there. And it's just, it's like, it's like Seinfeld on steroids. And, and they can do more because it's on HBO. So there's a little more raunchy, a little more edgier stuff, you know, things that never pass to the censors. But man, I am, I laugh out loud constantly during the episodes. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Highly recommend it to any Seinfeld fans that never checked it out. You know, the first season's a little, yeah, it's okay, but it just gets better and better and better. There are seasons where the entire Seinfeld cast comes back. Uh, there's a great season where Lin-Manuel is on there, and they're doing a musical that Larry David wrote called Fatwa. Fatwa the musical, and Lin-Manuel is, you know, coming off of Hamilton and going to star in this musical. It is, oh, it is just, it's so good. I, I, I cannot stop thinking about it and just loving every minute. So that's been my guilty little pleasure to take my mind off of everything and just escape into comedy. What about you guys? Well, for me, I mentioned at least to this group a couple of times, but uh, I've been watching more and more uh, British panel shows. Uh, <laughs> so uh, QI is one that I've uh, been watching for, geez, I think they're up to season like 16, 18, something. So uh, whatever number R is. And, uh, but they've actually moved up their production schedule and new episodes are starting to drop now for season R. Uh, you know, usually it starts in the fall, but, um, since there's like nothing to go on BBC, they've got new episodes out. But the one I really have fallen in love with recently is, uh, Taskmaster. And it's, it's these just <laughs> these five comedians that are given random tasks to do, uh, you know, paint a picture. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> they, they, they can't come within four feet of the canvas. So they have to work on some sort of pole to, to paint the brush or, uh, somehow make this, you know, two by two cubic foot block of ice disappear as fast as you can go. And <laughs> it just random things that they're, they're given to do. And since they're comedians, they find some funny way to do it. Uh, so that, that's, that's what I've been just checking out from all the serious stuff with, uh, of, of some British humor. What, what channel is that on? Uh, so I, uh, usually I watch both of them just on YouTube. Uh, so Taskmaster, mm. uh, I think the official channel is uploading uh, episodes of that uh, onto YouTube. QI kind of shows up somewhere randomly if you uh, occasionally search for it. I'm not sure if it's uh, actually from the BBC or not sometimes, but um, but the Taskmaster one definitely is. Yeah, okay. Glenn, I too started watching Curb Your Enthusiasm. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I started binging it. Uh, however, I got, um, I think, most of the way through the second season when I started to get a little bit overwhelmed with <laughs> the uh, 
I, I don't I would I don't want to say negativity, but um, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Um, and found that it was a little bit heavy. So I found that it's best if I if I keep that to one or two episodes at a time and I don't quite binge that. So Interesting. I, yeah, I had to step away from it for a bit. Although I do agree it is quite funny. It's hilarious. Um but yeah, it's it's for me, a little bit too heavy to binge right now. Although, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's serious dysfunction, but I, I, I love the unco- I love uncomfortable humor. Right? I'm a big fan of Ricky Gervais in his Office or Extra show. He's just he he's just the master of uncomfortable humor. Until I saw Larry David and I went, okay, no, this guy knows uncomfortable humor. All right, good to know because I hate uncomfortable humor. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's the same thing. I used to binge um, Adam Carolla, his podcast, and uh, I, I started to have the same feeling with that, where it was just this kind of pessimism, ranty type thing that, while funny, there was only a certain amount I could take at the time, and I had to then take breaks with a little bit more lighthearted stuff. Yeah, my I will admit, my current binge show that I have been putting on when I need to just tune out of things is... Um, Trash TV. I found that that's the best. I've been binging the show Catfish from MTV. Oh, no. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, it is real trash TV, and uh, it makes me laugh. I have not been watching funny shows. I don't know why. I have not taken the lighthearted approach. Um, I watched all of Breaking Bad because I'd never seen it. When oh, it was so good. That's uh, a good one. So those who joined the, the Facebook page, I posted... A little bit, a clip that I had seen in the show, just some stills of them talking about fingerprints that were found in a specific scene. So that's another enticement to join the Facebook page. The other thing that I've been watching, I finished all of Ozark, so went from one drug show to <laughs> another drug show. Oh, and Ozark is dark. It's lovely. It was great. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> And then uh, one other show, uh, You. So I finished the first season of You, and and somewhere in the early second season, I may or may not finish it. For those those who know me, that's really not that uncommon. But uh, <laughs> you you did watch Tiger King. That's kind of a comedy. That's I did I did watch all of Tiger King, but other sad documentaries as well. So yeah, Tiger King was kind of funny, but not really that funny. Just more <laughs> sad and strange. Like Florida. Yes, Florida. Yeah. Sad and strange. Sorry, Florida. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know it. You live there. You know it. Come on. They know it. Josh? Well, because my wife and kids have been home, you know, pretty much since March, they're the ones that generally find the shows to watch. And they might be three or four episodes into a season, and I kind of pick up and I come home. Uh, either from work or come up from upstairs. Um, but we're actually, my wife and I are watching Ozark now, so we just started season two, and it's a phenomenal show, but certainly not a, a lighthearted comedy. Um, speaking of Ricky Gervais, though, um, he has a new show, and I don't know, I think it might be on HBO. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a couple of uh, seasons, I guess, but he, his wife died, he's been trying to kill himself. And... Um, it's just that typical Ricky Gervais British humor. Um, I've only seen a couple of episodes, but it's actually really hilarious. Um, I think probably my wife and kids have maybe watched at least a season or two of it. 
Um, I wish I knew the name of it. Do you guys know what it's called? I mean, it's, it's really fun. Uh, is it Afterlife? Yes, yes. Something yes. like that, Afterlife? I think that's on Netflix. Um, but it's got that, that typical British humor in it as well. So, oh, well But I'm kind of like Carrie. I, I, I tend to gravitate towards more of the dramas or, you know, some of the kind of the, the mystery or suspense type shows. So Ozark would definitely be one of them. There's actually a show on Amazon Prime called Upload, I think, and it's about um, what happens when you die and the people that can afford it, um, their consciousness is uploaded into some virtual world and you're still able to communicate with your living relatives. Um, and it's just I it's started that one too. I did too. I just started it. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cute little show. It's it's kind of got a little bit of romantic comedy um, aspect to it. Um, there's some some serious parts, but overall, it's a pretty good show as well. So I, I watched the first season. They've only got one season out now. I'd love to see them make more than just the season, but sometimes it's tough with shows like that. So it sounds like a little bit like Altered Carbon, which I made it through the second season of that recently. That's amazing. If anyone needs a new sci-fi show. Uh, Altered Carbon is definitely one to check out. So, um, is it as good as the first? Because the first was amazing. Um, probably not as good as the first, but still, still really solid. And uh, looks like a third is in the works. Just as soon as you know everyone gets back to work filming stuff. Uh, but the the cast is you know pretty different because of the way that show works. So you just have the same characters but new actors in in um in all the roles. So, for example, the the character that um, Joel Kinnaman played in the first season is in the second season played by Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie, as in um, not Hawk, Hawk uh, but, 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 and, and Falcon, as in the Black Falcon. Yep, Look, who looks nothing like Joel Kinnaman. If you know, no, it really doesn't. <laughs> I would say uh, he would never be mistaken for Joel Kinnaman. Exactly. So anyway, that's the way that show works. Is is that flexibility, which is kind of cool. So. Uh, anyway, that sounds like the, the Chevy Chase movies with uh, the, the vacations, and Russ is always oh. a kid. It seems like uh-huh. every, <laughs> every movie, exactly something like that, but with you know science and you switching out your brain and bodies and stuff. They had an explanation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, I think we're going to wrap this up. Thank you guys so much for spending your happy hour here with us uh, on the, the podcast instead of our normal talking about – well, we, we somehow managed to make it to movies anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I guess fewer you know, fewer references to other random stuff. Uh, but uh, before we close out, I do have to mention the solution to the puzzle from the beginning. And thank you, everyone, for sticking around to the end or skipping ahead to the end to hear the answer. Uh, well, let, let's see if Rebecca got it. She said she got it, so let's hear what her answer is. So the the clue was, or the, the puzzle was flattening printer, and then rearrange the letters to... Latent fingerprint. Well done. So, yep, started out a little easy this time. Maybe next time it'll be slightly uh, harder. But maybe, then again, maybe we'll pace ourselves since we've got a year of these to do. Uh <laughs> But uh, with that, uh, thank you guys all for listening uh, yet again. You can email us, eric at rayforensics.com or glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. Twitter and Instagram at doubleooppod. doubleooppodcast.com is the website where you can also get some merch from us, T-shirts and cups and stuff. Uh, And then Patreon, you can also send us uh, some support through that app, which definitely helps us out a lot. Uh, and we also have a new Facebook page that uh, Carrie and Becca took some time to put together earlier this week. Uh, figure out the best way to say that link in the 
in the show here soon, but for now, just search for Double Loop Podcast. It's a page, and uh, or or you can just you know go to mine or Glenn's uh, Facebook and you know tag us there. Ask us what's the link for the page, and we'll forward that on to you. All right, and we do. I think have some pretty fun merch coming soon. Oh uh, yeah. I don't, to, I don't want to put too much pressure on us, but I think there will be some pretty fun merch that people might want to check out coming sometime in the near future this this uh this happy hour has been a, a a delight of brainstorming for for design ideas so um maybe it's the alcohol that flows through the ship the uh, the happy hour that helps with that uh and then as a little preview for probably the next episode or definitely an episode here in the next uh few weeks we're gonna be talking about another documentary called the most dangerous animal of all and that's reference Ooh, yeah. to the zodiac case so as a little preview, if any of you guys want to watch it ahead of time before we, you, you hear us talk about it on the podcast, here's your fair warning to watch it now, and then we'll get into all the spoilers of what happens in that uh, documentary here in the next uh, week or three or so. And you may see a familiar face in that, right, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Don't want to spoil it. Yeah, no spoilers there. Uh, all right. Uh, Glenn, I forget anything? That sounds great to me, man. I think you hit all the points. And uh, again, thanks to our guests this week, and we really appreciate your time and your insight. And it's just, uh, it's nice to break things up and just hear around this country and other countries. We need to do an international happy hour, Eric, and bring in our Aussie friends and some Brits and see what other countries are doing. Maybe that's something in a couple of weeks we can try to organize. But again, thanks to all of our guests, and thanks for sharing what's going on with you and your lives yeah thank you guys yeah, very thanks much everybody thank you all right thank you guys for listening and talk to you guys next time bye everybody have a good week stay safe stay healthy bye, bye.